0: Hey, everybody, it's Ben. And Dustin. And, and Dustin. It's me. I'm here. We're here. This is the HP Podcast, here with a special bonus episode for you. We got a chance to sit down with our friend uh, at Household Games, Jason Canham, and talk about the upcoming, or if you're listening to this on, well, anytime, uh, the previous release of Way of the Pacifist on Switch. Um, came out last year on other consoles. PS4? Did they come out on anything else?
1: It was on Xbox. It PC. was on Xbox. Yeah,
0: yeah. I I failed to realize that since I didn't play it on Xbox, but I knew it, it was elsewhere. And um, just an awesome conversation uh, with Jason about not only the game, but uh, trade shows and how Switch works, the updates to his game. We get into the idea of accessibility and how much uh, way of the pacifist specifically focuses on different types of accessibility. And uh, Jason just has a really cool and unique style uh, of talking about accessibility and, and what it means to him. So really excited about this episode. Um, it was a great conversation. And uh, he's just a good guy all around.
1: Yeah, it was an absolute pleasure to talk to him. He's become sort of one of our, our friends, which we understand is a is a dirty word when you're in the, the media to be friends with a developer. That's but right. I don't care. He He's a good dude and uh it was it was awesome to talk to him well he he we told him
0: you know we're friends and we like your games which means we can't be the people to actually score and review them but he told us he comes to us for gaming news so i mean that's right he basically broke a rule there too that's yeah that's true entirely true be sure to check out jason uh on twitter and everything he'll give his links in uh this episode maybe we can even throw them in the description if we don't forget and uh also make sure you follow us and uh check us out on twitter at handsome phantom you can pretty much find your way to any of our other channels or website handsomephantom.com of course is a great place to find all of our content uh youtube our channel's growing we'd appreciate it if you subscribe to our youtube channel as well uh been growing a lot there lately uh and we really appreciate you listening always but
1: especially today without further ado here's our chat with jason
0: Hey everyone, as we mentioned in the intro, we are here with Jason from Household Games and uh a friend, a developer, uh just an all around good guy. Jason, how you doing?
2: Hey, just great guys. I'm glad you have me on, and I'm just excited to talk.
0: Man, we are pumped um to talk to you. One, just because we think you're a pretty cool guy. Of course, you know, we can't say that as a journalist here, but <laughs> you know, it's it's okay to have friends.
2: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: So uh, for those of you who don't know, and I kind of teased it a little bit in the intro, Jason uh, is over at Household Games, his company that he founded, and put out last year, Way of the Pacifist. And it is coming this week. Actually, by the time you're listening to this, it came out previous to this, Um, Way of the Pacifist on Switch, which, you know, everybody wants to know whether everything's coming on the Switch. And now, you (laughs) know, Way of the Pacifist is on the Switch. Jason, uh, talk a little bit about um, just the the game in general. Like, I want to talk first about the reception that you had before you ever get into the Switch stuff. Like, a little bit about the game and then uh, about the reception on PS4 and and stuff like that from last year.
2: Certainly, yeah. Um, So, real quick, for anyone that doesn't know Way of the Pacifist, Way of the Pacifist is designed uh, as an old-school arcade beat-em-up. I've always said... My favorite beat-em-ups and brawlers have always been licensed cartoon ones. Been saying it for as long as I've been talking about Way of the Pacifist, that it's all about turtles. uh, It's all about Simpsons, all about X-Men. So we made a cartoon-styled beat-em-up. And also being a big fighting game fan, I'm a huge fan of technical fighting and parries. Huge Third Strike fan. I think the Daigo parry is literally the coolest thing that's ever happened in gaming. And it was really just in an effort to try to recreate that. And the game designer and me was really happy that we were able to take away one of the, you know, kind of negative elements with beat them ups, which is that they're notorious button mashers. So make a beat em up, make it so you can't button mash your way through it, make you feel like the coolest fighter in the world. And I really feel like that went over really well. I'm happy with it. That's like really the best thing a game designer can say is just how happy I am with how the game turned out. Um, tons, tons have been learned about the game since we launched it. You know, We learned more about the game since it launched than while developing it. And it's huh. just, it's that thing where when you put it in the hands of players, they'll tell you what your game is. You have an idea what it is when you're making it, but when people play it, they're, they tell you what it really is. And so there's a lot we learned.
1: It's interesting thinking about that, the process, because I remember the first time I got my hands on the game was at... Ooh, the psx i don't even know what year ago 16 maybe it was 16 yeah and i remember honestly i'm i'm kind of interested in that because you were there in the game you said it was like really really early um and i i think i think you knew what it was but I, it wasn't quite you know in that state yet and so when, when i played i was like i i don't know what's really going on here? And it wasn't. And then like a year later, it was like, oh yeah, this is, this is totally, you know, digestible and makes sense. So.
2: Yeah, that was the biggest thing. So that was one of the things that I decided really early on. So yeah, we went to PSX when the game was only in development for four months. Wow. Which I don't, I, I was the right call for us. Um, I don't know if I'd recommend that everyone should do it, but you know, every game has its own development journey. You know, every game works in certain avenues, works with streaming, doesn't work with streaming, et cetera, et cetera. And for us, the biggest thing, because it was, for lack of a better term, it was, it's a weird game. It's, it's a game that absolutely subverts expectations and it does that on purpose. It's, it's an inverted genre game. And so what I wanted to do was even though it wasn't polished, but the core was there, I just wanted to see if people would get it and you know, we, we did have a fair amount of people that didn't quite. And I knew I could tell that it, people weren't getting it because it did have a lack of polish and there's a lack of presentation. But I just kind of wanted to get face to face with people, get their honest opinions, just be like, you know, is this something you want? Because really, like if, if it would have bombed at PSX, uh, we would have abandoned it. We would have thought there's, there's probably a, another game we could be making instead. But I was like, I want people to tell me, like, is this even an idea that's interesting to you? And uh, feedback was pretty good. Uh, But once again, you're right. Like a lot of people were like, oh, I get it. I kind of want to play this. This ain't it though. Not yet. And I was like, (laughs) that's fair. Nothing wrong with that. And honest feedback is the absolute most treasured thing at a con. It's hard to come by because people are just typically, and I don't even think it's on purpose. I think people are just hype on a con. You know, you're psyched to be at PAX. So everything you see is just awesome. But when you get that critical feedback, it's it's important. But even the people who are critical of it were still like, yeah, but it's a game I want to play. I want your idea. And we're like, okay, then we'll stick with it. You're
0: talking about not getting it, uh, Dustin, hopefully this doesn't embarrass you. But yeah. it was slightly before the game's release on PS4. It might have been right around the same time. Where like Dustin at this point had explained the game numerous times to people. We had talked about it. Like You had sent us early copies and we had played it. And Dustin one day goes, oh man, I just figured something out. I said, what's that? He goes, Passive Fist. It's like a play on words. I was like, yeah, that's kind of the whole point of the game. <laughs> uh, but there were other things that like didn't click for me right away too. So um, I, I agree that that cycle of just getting it is so important. And it's good that you were able to get it. You mentioned, we mentioned trade shows. Obviously you went to PSX. What other trade shows did you show uh, Passive Fist at? And then on top of that, mm. For an indie, I mean, this is just in a general sense. For an indie developer like you, you know, how do you decide which shows are going to be more valuable or less valuable, and which ones you can afford to go to, and which ones will be profitable, like in a uh, exposure sense for you to be there?
2: Certainly, it, it's it's not an easy decision. It's never an easy decision. Um, for us, it was just picking the ones that were the best opportunities. So I, I I'm totally fine going on record saying that psx is my favorite con i've been to the two we showed at were psx 2016 and 2017 they were the two best cons i've ever been to nice from a developer standpoint um yeah they were awesome sony was super accommodating um they were awesome partners to work with um it was it was super awesome yeah so that was an easy one um and also because the way that event is organized you know it's It's kind of invite only. So by Sony saying and offering us the opportunity to be there, they were saying, we want you there. That's really cool. Which is a nice little endorsement as opposed to, you know, other cons where you basically apply or pay a fee. Um, uh, Not that they're any less valuable. In fact, they can be more valuable, but just the fact that it's that nice little, it's kind of tips that scale. Should we go? Shouldn't we go? Well, you know, PlayStation saying we should, we should probably take that as a sign. So that makes that an easy decision. Um, We also. Just from
0: art. from our angle just so you know one psx is one of our favorite events too but two it's that like sony prestige i'm not like i don't want to get into console words with anybody but like the first time we ever got an invite about anything from sony as a website to go we were like we've made it we are awesome. we are gods now <laughs>
2: <So>. <laughs> that's awesome and, and and exactly it's 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 uh they're they're surprisingly welcome welcoming uh, which was awesome, and they they set up a good environment. I also think they set up an excellent environment to balance out big, huge first party titles like Shadow of the Colossus, Spider Man, Days Gone, God of War, with the indie stuff. And in twenty seventeen, they did an awesome job of mixing that up and mingling that stuff. There wasn't like the indie section in the corner. It was like like our booth was right next to the giant Far Cry Five booth. Uh huh. So. It was. They were just. Sony did a good job themselves of presenting it as these are just PlayStation games. Period. All of these. Sure. All yeah. of these are on the same level. They're all PlayStation games, and I think that helped with the atmosphere. Um, so that, like, I'm. I, I have no problem going on record saying that's that's the best best experience. Um, and then we also went to PAX. Uh, we specifically went to PAX uh, West, PAX Prime uh, in 2017, uh, which was the final two quarters before launch. So it was the beginning of our lead up to launch. Um, and then that was the decision made because it's, it's the biggest show. Mm-hmm. Sure. And, uh, and we were able to be part of Indie mega booth, which is also, you know, that's also something that's really, that has its own prestige to it. Um, But that was, that was, that was a heavy decision for us Um, because we decided to bring out our arcade cabinet. We drove from Toronto to Seattle, which was practically driving across the continent. Yeah, Um, that's crazy. It turned it into a full two week trip. It was five days of travel each day. And, uh, no, it was more than two weeks because it was, it was five days of travel each way and four days of packs. Right, right. Uh, so it was 14, uh, 14 days, like two weeks, and it was just like what? spilling over by a few hours to sleep. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so we like, um, we looked at the cost of shipping our arcade unit and it like, I did the budget and I was like, well, let's rent a van, gas. It's going to be probably close to a thousand bucks in gas. We need hotels for three people. We need a hotel in Seattle. We went through the whole budget and I was like, man, that's like, this is turning into a big trip. And I was like, I checked with a few shipping companies. I'm like, how much to freight this to Seattle? And it was like twelve thousand dollars. Wow! To ship wow. it. So we were like, okay, cool, cool. Yeah, no. Yeah, we're not doing that. <laughs> we got no choice. We're this is we're indie, so we're we're driving this thing, and we turned it into a road trip. We turned it into a hashtag. Um, so we're like, you know, let's let's make this an opportunity. But lots of opportunities came of that. We stopped through in uh, Minneapolis along the way to Game Informer headquarters. Did an interview and a video with them stopped in a few other cities along the way. So it it, like, we made the most of it. And that's the kind of careful planning you have to do. Um, Sure. But it still was a huge, huge investment. So it kind of, there was many other events, like um, even though it was more primed to set up for launch, uh, we couldn't do like Pack South the following January, which would have been two Uh months from launch. That would have been pretty cool. But we unfortunately couldn't because we kind of had to put, a lot of our resources into that PAX road
1: trip. Right. Yeah. Hey, I wanted to ask, so we just came off of coming from PAX. And so one of the things I always think about is the, how the developer feels showing off their game. I know for me, just because I'm a, I'm, I hyperanalyze every social situation that I'm in. And so I'm always thinking, like, well, oh, what are they thinking of me watching play the game? Do they do they think that I'm terrible? Do that are they realizing that something is wrong with the game? Like, for example, I was I was playing control, uh, the new remedy game, Mm -hmm. and they're like, Whoa, wait, wait a second. I'm like, what? Like, yeah, that that door is not supposed to open. (laughs) And you are in a, a section of the game that's not supposed to be here right now. So I was just curious about for you personally how how is it is it is it more exciting is it is it scary is it everything i mean (laughs)
2: it uh, it definitely is a mix of everything but i can give you some i can give you some insights and specifics um first of all i will say beyond a shadow of a doubt i guarantee no developer has ever been um No developers ever judged a player playing their game. No one's ever thinking like, oh, man, he's bad or she's bad or, oh, I can't believe they didn't get that puzzle. No developers ever thought that of a player ever. I promise you. They're freaking out because they're constantly like, oh, my God, like, when are they going to find the piece of duct tape that's holding this whole thing together and just tug on it a bit? just like that door. Mm-hmm. Like we're just internally screaming constantly and it's not judging. It's we're just like, oh my God, just don't, no, don't step to the left. Oh, please don't step to the left. And that's just- <laughs> I know there's a glitch there. Yeah, that's just the nature of demos. That's just the nature of demos. Um, but it's, uh, it's, it is it's it is terrifying. Uh, it adds another deadline to a development schedule. You know, you've got your pre-production, production, alpha, beta, gold. Demos are milestones that kind of just drop right into the middle of everything. Uh, So they put a lot of pressure on the team to perform and to get things done. And you never think your demo is good enough. You never think it's ready enough. That's just natural. Um, But the benefit to it is it is the absolute best team motivator there is in in video games. Mm. Every team I've worked with, every team I've led, um, and like I said, I've had the pleasure of working with, coming back from a con, even for the people who didn't get to travel to it, just hearing the stories from the people who did go productivity goes through the roof. Cause people are excited. Um, so it's really good. Like people are just naturally excited. Uh, but like those first few weeks after being at a PAX or a PSX, uh, you get so much more done. There's a spring in your step. Everything you code seems to be right. First time, everything, you every piece of art seems to be perfect every time every bug gets magically fixed it's just it it's a it's (laughs) like it's just like you entered a slipstream for development and you're just like boom you've you've taken off you're boosting
0: it's uh it's funny i was sitting with tommy rafena uh playing super meat boy forever at this last pax east a couple weeks ago and i'm sitting there playing the game and we're talking and i mean we've met before so we at least have some sort of rapport and uh I'm, I'm like struggling to get through this part. And I said, um, is it frustrating? I like look over at him and I'm playing it on the switch and I said, is it frustrating watching people play th- your game when they can't get something? He goes, okay, two answers. Uh, no, not at all because you've been sitting here for forever playing this game, which is awesome. And I was like, wow, it's longer than I thought I'd been playing. And two, uh, you just, um, found the glitch that I've been debating on whether or not I need to fix. And now I know I need to fix it for sure. (laughs) And that's awesome that I was able to see that. And then there was another thing I was like, Hey, do you know that does this, is that intentional? And he was like, what? No, that's crucial. And like wrote it down and and like was ready to fix it. So like, it was rewarding for me to see it be rewarding for him. Uh, that he was able to like, how he worked through that process. And and at first I'm sitting there like, he, he's not really saying much to me. He's l- letting me kind of play the game. And I'm thinking like, okay, is it is it awkward for him to sit here? I mean, maybe he doesn't want to be real social. And then I look at him and he's like, sorry, I'm just super nervous. Anytime somebody who seems to be halfway decent at the game plays the game, it just makes me nervous that they're going to hate it. And I'm like, I feel you. <laughs> like, I get it. So it's it's just really cool to hear developer perspectives because – I am like, I mean, Dustin is much more socially aware than I am, or at least like socially conscious in certain areas. Sometimes I can just be obtuse. But even I am like, am I annoying this guy by asking if I can play his game uh, as a a member of the press or whatever? And what it comes down to is, no, they want everyone to play it. They want to hear your honest impressions. Don't like sugarcoat things. They need to know how you're feeling because ultimately that affects how the game is going to perform and sell later on.
2: Mm -hmm, Absolutely. Exactly. And yeah, it, it, it absolutely can't be overstated that for any developer, anyone who wants to step up and give it a try. And regardless if it's for five seconds, five minutes, 15 minutes, you know, that was your time you spent and you decided to spend it with this. That's awesome. That's, that's the absolute payment of respect to a developer. So you know, even if you're the kind of person, because some people also tell me that they feel really bad if all they do is walk up, play it and walk away. And they're like, well, I was nervous and didn't really have feedback. I just liked it and I walked away. That's fine, too. That's awesome. Right. You took your time when you're on a crowded floor with th- literally thousands of games. Right. To choose from. And you wanted to play mine for a few minutes. That's awesome. You know, that's very awesome. If you got something to say, that's awesome. But just the fact you you said enough by just wanting to take a few minutes out. And that, that means that means a ton.
0: That's really cool to hear for sure. Um, I'm curious about you know, you had this release already. Like we we oftentimes now like everybody's like, oh, when's the switch version coming? That's like <laughs> the new thing. And you came out with a PS4 version. Uh, when did you know and that you were going to eventually develop for the Switch as well?
2: Well, for us, the decision to go to Switch always wanted to be on switch uh it was a technological decision actually for the timing that is um at the time we were developing the game the game engine we were using wasn't switch compatible so we had no choice okay and actually the compatibility literally came out like the week after we launched the game <laughs> uh so i'm like okay but that's fine This means we start this road so reached out to them contacted them we're like hey can we get um can we get information on getting switch compatibility on our end? And it took a few months to make some deals, work it out. Um, had to contact Nintendo, make some deals with them, you know, come to some agreements, um, you know, pitch the game if it's acceptable for their platform. It's a regular process you have to do everywhere pretty much. Sure. Um, so, yeah, so we just had like, you know, we had, you know, four to six months. Cause these things do take time of just logistical And then once we had the tech, once we had the approval, it was just straight to work on, uh, on getting it going. And then it was just a matter of, as soon as I kind of, as soon as I get this, I'm going to, going to put it out. Um, I always kind of wanted to be on switch just because me personally, as a gamer, I own every console and every platform play on PC as well as like, I just, I love everything and kind of in the true spirit of the game of making the game for everyone. I was like, well, anyone that owns any console should be able to play the game. Absolutely. So it was always an important goal of mine to be multi-plat and just be everywhere uh, so it
1: can be available to anyone. So Jason, I wanted to mention you and I, I, I had messaged you a couple of days ago <laughs> and I hope I, I, I thought I was pulling a fast one on you. I hope that I, maybe you saw right through me, but I said that I found something weird about the switch version and uh, you were quick to reply that you're like, "Well, oh, please let me know it's it's been through all this testing." <laughs> and then i I had said that, uh, well, I think it might be more fun in handheld mode. And uh, you had said you had agreed with that uh, that. And so I was curious about overall, I mean the switch version, it's the new, the new hotness, but is it now like your your favorite version of the game? Is there anything that you find particularly special about it? I, I will say, so you, you totally did throw me, you, you did throw me, you, nice. you gave me,
2: oh man, my, my heart did stomp for a minute. Cause so I was like, oh no. Um, so you, you did pull a fast one and it, it all in good fun. It was awesome. Um, but no, I, I, and then, and then I was the most happy I've been literally in months. Um, just, just good. because you, you, you nailed it. The very first time the build ran on the switch, I was like, oh my God, this is beautiful. Um, yeah, I, I, just think on the, on this, like, so another thing to relate that I've kind of never spoken about before, um, talking about multi-platform, same technological reason. Um, I really, like, I would have put it on the Vita at launch as well. Yeah. Would have loved to have had it on Vita, but once again, the game engine we were using, um, just exactly in the time period we were developing the game, they dropped Vita support and didn't have switch support yet. So oh, wow. that's, yeah. that's the honest to goodness reason. That's ex- why warning. is it not on Vita and why did it take so long to get the switch? The tools we were using weren't switch compatible and they weren't Vita compatible because they dropped them in the previous version. So Vita wasn't an option otherwise. Um, but I think that extends out to Vita. I think Vita would have been the premium version at the original launch last year. I think the Vita would have been the standout version. I would have loved to have had it on Vita, but switch handheld. It's so beautiful. I think it looks better just because of that compact screen. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, retro pixel art games like I bought uh, shovel Knight at launch on uh, Wii U when it originally came out, loved right. it when they released it the next year on PS4 and Vita. The first time I loaded it on my Vita, I would, I literally like gasped. And yeah. I was like, I didn't know shovel Knight looked this good.
1: <laughs> it's that OLED screen, man. Oh. If you've got the the model one, that man, that would have been nice to have. Way the pacifist on Vita with that OLED screen would have been.
2: I really yeah, I, I do admit it. It, it is a shame. Um, but yeah, we we were our hands were kind of tied, and that's that's the curse and the benefit of middleware. Like that's why developers use game engines. They you get access to all this functionality that you just you, you wouldn't be able to build yourself internally. We don't right. have a team to build an engine. That's why you know, huge studios build their own engines. And even then most AAA studios use unreal and man, there's tons of AAA studios that use unity as well. Um, But at the same time, when they decide they don't want compatibility for something or they change uh, certain rules of their platform, you, you lose functions, you lose features. You're, you're, you're beholden to them for that. So in our case, we, we released on the platforms that our tools let us and we, released it on everything we possibly could have.
0: You've uh, you've made some changes and some may even call them improvements to the switch version. Um, can can you talk a little bit about those and what they are and also like what the journey to, to decide about those differences was?
2: Sure. So I, I will say just as I, um, I was going through and doing the switch port, I just kind of was like muddling in the code and I was like, oh, there's a couple things I want. And you know what, I've got, I've got a month, I got a month, month and a half, you know, I've I've got an extra month and a half here. You know what, I'm going to, I'm going to see how this works and I'm going to, I'm going to throw in these new features. Um, uh, so I just went about them and and they went in really well. Uh, and then while I was at it, you know, while I was knee deep in the code, I was like, you know, I'm going to fiddle with some hit boxes. I'm going to fiddle with some move timings. I'm just going to, I'm just going to like tighten it all around. Just this quick little tune up while I'm at it. Um, And so a couple things I just wanted to get in, you know, not huge game changing features. That's why we've been very careful not to bullet point them as like, you know, brand new things. I don't want to overstate them, but I think they're they're pretty cool things. Um, I've always been a huge fan, as biased as I am, that the music I'm, I think Ori, who is the composer on the game, just did a fantastic job on the music. Uh, So I wanted to put in a sound test mode where you can play the music. Um, and th- there's a few tracks that I think some people have never heard. Like there's a unique track for completing passive mode, which is the randomized roguelike mode. And very few people have completed that. They've never heard this track. I got him to make for it. So I was like, you know what? Right. Let's let people <laughs> hear this awesome music. You made it's an awesome surf inspired tune, uh, that was inspired by turtles Ninja turtles. And I'm like, he nailed it. Um, so that went in, that's a small thing. And then, Uh, I I was like, well, something I always wanted in was the training mode was a nice focused practice mode where you can really take the time to master every enemy pattern and every enemy attack. Uh, And then as a quick little bonus to that, too, I also got to throw in all the enemies' names, which is a fun little thing for me. Um, I have one thing that's didn't make it into the game and it didn't make it into the Switch version either, actually just didn't have time. Um, I have an unnatural fondness for enemy roll calls at the end of games. Like when you beat a game oh, yeah. and it tells you all the uh-huh. names of the enemies. Uh, uh-huh. uh, I have an unnatural fondness for that. I just, I, I don't know why I love it. Ever since I first beat super Mario brothers two on the NES and Mario's dreaming while it scrolls all the enemies. Right. Um, and then my favorite is turtles in time when turtles in time ends. And after the cat, uh, the, staff credits it does the cast roll and you know it shows leonardo doing a combo and it freeze frames does the cinematic borders and says leonardo and goes through every character in the game one by one i wanted to have a thing like that but i couldn't get it so in training mode you can see all the enemies names so that's how i kind of got that in there and that's a fun little touch for me but they're nice nice they're so they're they're not giant game changers but they're they're the cherry on top
0: do you think those are going to be coming to the other versions of the game as well or are those kind of static where they are
2: it depends on once again a bunch of things with whether or not we can um we kind of have to take a look um i haven't made promises yet um i'd like to do the best i can for everyone that owns the game um so that i have i have to sit on i'm gonna do my best but i can't make promises yet but we'll we'll shout it out if we can get those in nice
0: So something about uh way of the pacifist, and this is probably going to take us into tons of other topics uh, that is like obviously intentional, immediately apparent and obviously welcome to lots of different types of players is just all the accessibility options yeah. that you, you, you put into way of the pacifist. And obviously that's like in the zeitgeist right now, right? Everybody's talking about accessibility and I just want to hear like some of your inspiration for that. Um, uh you know people we we're gonna, gonna encourage people to like check out the game to see what those options are uh because they're they're so they change the game dramatically of course but like what does accessibility mean to you as far as way the passive Fist is concerned and have you heard any cool stories
2: about it? Sure, yeah. Um so first thing I'll jump out and say speaking about the zeitgeist and all these conversations happening now, um it really blows my mind that we've seen two different reviews of Sekiro shadows die twice that mention way, the pacifist by name.
1: Oh, I didn't know
2: that. That blew my mind. Um, Uh, um, I thought that was super awesome. One of them was, uh, slate, uh, their review of Sekiro. Um, and then the other one, I can't remember. I think it was a Spanish website. Uh, that did. Oh yeah. The, the loot gaming it's called. Okay. Which is uh, like a Spanish, uh, site. And I just thought that was neat. That's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, which is really interesting. And, and yeah, the game's been coming up a lot recently with kind of discussions. Um, so accessibility for me, because um, yeah, I have tons of opinions on the matter and um, I'm probably only going to get more vocal, especially after the game is out. But yeah, sure. for me, accessibility is just making sure uh, everyone er- everyone can play the game. Everyone has an entry point. Um, I've kind of tweeted and I've mentioned a few times, I think lately the conversations become a little muddled and a lot of people are kind of conflating accessibility with ease, uh, like easy modes right. and stuff, which I actually don't agree with. Um, for me, accessibility is about easy to play, not easy to win. Right. Cause to me, everyone playing a game is not everyone necessarily winning a game, but right. if someone can't even play because. It requires an amount of dexterity that you're not accommodating for, or they can't um, see the screen because you've are you used colors that don't work for them. That's a different thing altogether. And I think that's the big issue is everyone should be able to get in. Uh, whether or not everyone can finish, that's a different thing. I mean, I would love if everyone finished the game because um, Way of the Pacifist, I think, is a categorically difficult game it's a categorically hard game yeah i would agree um but we put a ton of accessibility features in because we're like no we want everyone to try and i think that if everyone you know can can practice the game they'll eventually win um and we wanted to accommodate that so that's why the game features i'm a huge advocate of 100 customizable controls no reason not to ever have it I think sure. every game. I, I think it should become a game standard. You should be able to change the controls to whatever you want, um, and that was directly inspired by Half Coordinated. Uh-huh. Seeing how he plays games one handed, um, I reached out to him. And was like, "Hey man, will you will you give me some advice? Well, can I hire you as a consultant?" And he agreed, and that was awesome. And he told us That's a bunch amazing. of stuff. Um. So yeah, letting someone because if they're like, "Oh man, I just you know my thumbs are really active, but my my fingers." You know, it's hard to squeeze my fingers on the triggers, So can I move stuff away from the triggers and put them on the buttons? Yeah, of course. 100%. I wouldn't want right. someone to not beat the game because we mapped a key function to R2 and they can't pull R2. That's not fair. Right. Um, yeah. And yes, a lot of our accessibility features are difficulty related, but the spirit of the game is still there. It's a game you, A, can't button mash through. And B uh-huh. is a game you have to be observant and attentive. Um, it's kind of a double-edged sword with the game. It's kind of something we've learned that's burned us with return um, in terms of streamers. Streamers oh, yeah. have trouble yeah. playing the game because they can't actually chat during it because they have to be a hundred percent focused. And we've seen that's some true. people stream the game, love it, but like, um, they're like, I'm not really going to stream it anymore because I can't, I can't chat, I can't check my updates, I can't read donations. Cause he's like, I have to focus on this game a thousand percent and that's by intention, sure. but you can, you can make the timings a little more generous. You can make them not hit you as hard, but you're still going to have to pay attention, react to get through it. Right. So that's why I'm a firm believer of, you know, accessibility doesn't alter the vision of a game uh, or no, sorry, I will actually change and say it doesn't necessarily change it. Um, so for us, the spirit of the game is still there. It's still a hard game. It's still a game that meets all the requirements that I wanted it to as the designer. But there's a hundred options in the game to do it the most comfortable. And that's why for me, the biggest word for accessibility is comfort. Is it comfortable to sure. play? Um, and that's what we tried to do. And you can you can change the setting where it dims the background so the characters pop off if you have trouble seeing, if you have slightly low vision then, yeah, you can make those characters pop off the screen so they're easier to see. But you're still going to have to pay attention to those punches. You're still going to have to watch carefully. So, like, the game is still exactly the one I want it to be. But we built a we built a huge amount of leeway in there.
1: Right. Yeah,
0: I agree. Whenever, uh, last week, whenever the Switch version, uh, whenever you graciously sent it over to us, that was the first thing I did. When I played it previously, I just played it vanilla, you know, just like that way it came and everything. And I and I thought because this conversation has been on my mind lately, you know, I just want to see. I mean, I've heard it's an incredibly accessible game, but I just want to see what the different kinds of options are. And I just toyed around with them and played a bunch of different ways. Eventually, I went back to you know standard settings because that's how I wanted <laughs> preferred to play. Uh, but it's just like I could really see how it could appeal to people in different ways uh, and with different abilities. That means a lot from you know try as they might, a lot of games just don't get it right. And I thought I like it's really cool that uh, you know, an indie game is just able to hit all those notes just right. And that's super awesome that those reviews mention I mean, that, that's that's amazing that people had that uh, awareness of the game that they were able to mention that in a you know a huge triple A title uh
1: review. Yeah. I think what
2: Oh ahead. no sorry so go ahead doesn't
1: I was just gonna say I think what I find um particularly right now fascinating about the options is that they aren't necessarily just for like like you said someone who doesn't either have the vision or the dexterity something like that i found myself using them to just custom tailor to what i found the most enjoyable way to play the game for example i i I think when i initially played i was finding it frustrating because i was i was dying later in a level and having to backtrack and redo a lot Um, and so I was like, oh wait, there's an option where I can, I can add more checkpoints. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, well, I'm really good at hitting the parry so I can make those harder and this part easier. And so I think that's what what was so interesting to me is that it's, it's not just for, you know, like I said, for either dexterity or, or different disabilities. Exactly.
2: And that's one of the most important things I think that also gets lost in the conversation is. Accessibility options typically make the game better for everyone. They're not just for disabled players or um, players that have needs, they're for everyone. They, they Yeah, and, that, and that's the exact idea. And to come back, uh, Ben, what you were talking about, one thing that I kind of struggled with, because one of the things I wanted is I wanted every player to tweak all of those options. I didn't uh-huh. want there to be a de facto regular or normal version. Right. And during development, I was talking with like some of the people on the team and I was like, you know what I want to do? I want to randomize it for every person. Yeah, that'd be cool. And I was like, cause I want to teach the player. There is no normal. There's no standard. Sure. Um, right. it's like, it's unique to you, find your unique combination and play that way. Um, so I was like, you know what, when a player like starts story mode the first time, let's just jumble and randomize them and then make them manually move them to where they want. Um, but after a lot of kind of meetings and discussions and flat out arguments uh we kind of came to the conclusion that you know that could be more confusing and you know the randomizer could tweak everything to the most extreme level and then someone just immediately gets killed by the first enemy in the game and that is its own negative side effect so sure it was just like yeah okay it it makes sense and And that was one of those things too, from demoing the game at conventions, people would step up and they would look at me and they go like, oh, I'm going to play the game. Like, awesome. And they would look at me and they look at that screen and go, what's the normal setting? And for a while I'd go like, no, it's, there is no normal, make what you want. But people were like, they're like, I'd feel more comfortable if you just told me like, should they be all in the middle? And I realize that that's, you know, that's something that people are accustomed to as well. And, you know, they trust the game. They're like, you're the game designer. What, what, what do you think? So I think that's why we kind of settled on there is like a medium setting ultimately.
0: Right. Yeah, I think that's, you know, when I see modes and games and I don't disparage developers for doing this, but when I see modes and games and it's like, uh, you know, you, you can kind of surmise from the language they're using what they meant to be the base game and then what they made to be less challenging or more challenging in a variety of ways, whether that's, mm-hmm. um, you know, just straight out difficulty or, uh, or whatever the case is, but yeah, you're right with, with pacifist, there's like so many different options that I like Dustin was saying, I could make one function of the game almost impossible while making another function, inc- you know, incredibly simple uh, to, to master. So um it, it really gives a lot of variety and and honestly just changes the way you're playing because uh, you have to be on some, you know, with certain modes you could be on your toes more in one area and then be able to relax a little bit more in another area. And I, I can see how that, for, especially for individuals who maybe have a hard time getting to certain buttons or something like that, um, they can make it so that with, especially with the button problems being able to be changed or the, the, the buttons being able to be changed that, this particular thing is less challenging uh, for a fully abled person and at the same time, a button that they can reach um, as well. So yeah, it's just, uh, I got to applaud you on all those. That's something that I'm you know, fortunate enough that I don't have to struggle with. I don't have any um, necessary requirements that I need a game to have for me to be able to play it, but it's so cool to be able to understand like this has these options for players who want to have a different experience than I have or need to have a different experience than I
2: have. And, and I, I'm really glad that comes across. That like that means a ton to me. That's awesome. And I appreciate that. Um, and, and, and yeah, and then to speak once again to the fact that like it's not just for people with you know, um, specific needs. Um, right. Like I tell the story of uh, Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. Um, I only very recently got into that game. I, I played it a couple of years ago and I immediately bounced off it hard. I right. hated the controls. I was like, why is jump over here? Why is this? I'm like, I hate these controls. They're not intuitive in what I want. I'm like, I hate this. Uh, and I, I, I rejected it real hard to be honest. Um, and I didn't play it again for like 18 months. Wow. Yeah. And I was like, if you just let me change the controls and i was like I don't need them there but I want them there. It would make me, it would help me out. Now I will say eventually I came back to it. I'm actually still playing it. I've got three divine beasts down. I really enjoy the game, but I don't want the takeaway to Nintendo to be, well, it all worked out. Let's not do anything. I really want to push them to, to, especially them to be like, no, I I think it would have been a smoother experience for me. Um, As a avid gamer who plays a ton of games and has no problem playing pretty much any game. You know, I I was like, I almost completely noped real hard on Breath of the Wild because my initial impression of its controls were quite negative. Um, That's interesting, yeah. Because I I don't think there's a reason for it. Um, And and yeah, just about improve the lives of every player Uh, is is the goal. And like I said, like the fact that comes across actually is super awesome to me. That makes it all worth it. I think that's awesome. Thank you guys.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, speaking about Breath of the Wild or any game specifically, that goes back to your point about making every game to have customizable uh, button controls because, I mean, I'm not a developer. I don't have any idea how hard it is to allow people to map stuff to different buttons, but to me, it just seems like, I mean, for example, when I played Breath of the Wild, I played on my Switch, I, you know, 80 hours go by and then I go back to my PS4 for a little bit and I'm like, wait, why isn't jump on the on the square button like it should be it should be on this side of the screen so like just being able to change a button yeah. to where i wanted it to be would have dramatically increased my enjoyment cuz i had to get used to that in zelda and then i had to go back to another game and figure it out all over again
2: i was just going to say for someone jumping back and forth between say legend of zelda breath of the wild and horizon zero dawn which were out
1: at the same time that'd be right. maddening it was crazy yeah. so I wanted to ask you, since since we're still on the topic, we, we had touched on it briefly, and since it is the hot-button topic with Sekiro right now, thinking about what we've been talking about, like, Sekiro, it has... Uh, I believe it has fully remappable buttons. Um, I'm not sure as far... Obviously, it doesn't go to anywhere near the lengths that uh, your game does, but I was curious about what you thought about that situation specifically. I know you mentioned that you're like way of the pacifist is a hard game. Um, and the, f- those features aren't necessarily going to change that. And so do you think there is a responsibility for them to incorporate different difficulty modes or um, options like that? I'm just, I'm just curious of your take overall. Sure. Um, so yeah, like I said, it's one
2: of those things where, The internet, internet conversations tend to lack nuance. Um, Really? (laughs) To say the least, that's, that's a huge understatement, of course. Um, But yeah, so it is definitely all context, of course. Um, Just like, yeah. So for, oh man, for, for lack of being noncommittal, even though that, like, I, I strongly believe with the statement Um, Okay, no, I strongly disagree with not every game needs an easy mode as much as I disagree with the statement every game needs an easy mode, if you know what I'm saying. Right, right. Because it's not that simple. And An easy
0: mode is not necessarily
2: accessibility. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, There are different ways of dealing with it. Um, You know, certain ways, like some games like uh, Falcon Age that came out today, you know, has a mode where it removes all the combat from the game turns into a narrative game. That's perfectly acceptable. I don't buy any argument that says that ruins the game. That doesn't at the same time, it's totally acceptable. I I do believe for, from software to say combat is the core thing. It's not a game featuring combat. It's a combat game. Just like way, the pacifist way, the pacifist wouldn't make sense to have a non-combat version. It's not that type of game or
0: Mortal Kombat or Mortal Kombat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
2: exactly. <laughs> um, but, um, but at the, at, at the same time, and, and like I said, that's why I do firmly believe accessibility is about making sure no one's left out, but it's not the same thing as everyone wins. Those, yeah. those are, those right. are different things. And um and I mean, there's all kinds of sides of the argument. There's people who take opposite sides. There's people who disagree with me with that, even. Um, there's some people, um, despite the fact that Way of the Pacifist features a ton of different options for difficulty, there are a couple of trophies and achievements in the game that do require the settings being maxed out, like playing on the hardest difficulty. And once again, it's, it's like a middle ground. I don't agree with... Some people have suggested like, oh, every game should have easy mode. But the second you turn on easy mode, disable all trophies. I don't know. That's too much. And at the same time, I'm also fine that maybe you don't need to get every trophy on easy. You know, for me, it's perfectly acceptable to have every trophy in the game accessible from easy mode. And then there's one trophy that's beat the game on hard mode. That's fair. Sure. You know, not not everyone gets a platinum trophy. That's totally fair in my mind. But to me, when you're slamming the door saying like, you know, you can't even get in. That's that's where I that's where I take issue. And, you know, some of the darker parts of the conversation have been exclusionary. They've been saying like, you know, when people make statements at people saying you don't deserve to play games or, you know, you don't need to play it or games are not for everyone is an iffy one. I kind of don't like I just don't like that language. Cause I do think every game should be for everyone to attempt to try. And right. I, I think I've, I, I know I've repeated that quite a bit, but like to me, that's, that's the big thing. If that's the cornerstone of the argument, everyone deserves to try. And if someone says, well, I can't even try for X, I'll do whatever to make sure they can. But of course not everyone's going to win. This,
0: yeah. Yeah. This is a really, really terrible analogy, but I came up with it a couple of days ago and I wanted to use it. So like, comparing accessibility and and ease and stuff like that is like we want you want everyone to be able to play but maybe just the way they play is different like if it might take me four beers and i'll and i'm drunk whereas dustin it maybe takes him two beers and he's drunk we both are still (laughs) drunk and we're both still at the same point but we uh, accomplish that uh, not goal but goal uh differently and so like Again, it's a terrible analogy, and I don't condone that, obviously, but it, it it's the idea that like we can both get to the same place but just have different routes to get there.
2: Certainly. Um, or to expand on it a little bit, it'd be like, well, what if someone has an allergy to a, a certain ingredient in beer? And they're like, well, I right. kind of want to drink. I want to get drunk on beer with you guys, but I'm allergic. And I, I guess it'd be like, to me, it'd be less about condemning a bar, but it would be about like, well, let's all go to the bar that has a different type of beer for our friend. Like, you know, I'd rather go to the bar that has a special beer that my allergic friend can drink. That way he can all get drunk with us. Right. You know? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. We all get, we get drunk at different rates, but you know what? I don't want my friend who's allergic to beer to sit at home while we're all doing it. And if someone comes out saying, Hey, I've got this, this beer that's not allergic to your friend, I'd I'd be like, awesome. Yes. That's, that's the, that'd be the spot we go from now on. Like celebrate that. But should you pass a law saying every bar has to serve that beer now? That's getting iffy. Right. 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 Yeah.
0: So Jason, um, what are you what are you up to these days? I mean, obviously, uh Pacifist just came out on Switch um yesterday or day before, depending on when this post. And uh, you know, obviously there's always some patches and stuff like that that need done. But what what are you working on right now?
1: Now that you're rolling in millions <laughs> That's right, from that millions Switch release, the, Switch. Oh, the Nintendo magic. <laughs> we are uh, very excited about
2: the the Switch version. We're excited to get Switch fans on board. Um, we've excited which,
0: which by the way real quick joking about that millions. I mean am I right that the Switch version is is 15 bucks?
2: Yeah, yeah. Oh, that yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, it is <laughs> and um, if you're listening to this when it comes out, it's also 20% off at launch.
0: Oh, nice. That's I mean, I'm not just saying this because you're on the show. That is a steal. That is ridiculous. It's that's great.
2: Um, another just core tenant of mine, the Switch version may be later, but one thing I've heard a lot of people talk about is this so called Switch tax, which is something uh-huh. I'm firmly against. I don't believe in charging extra for a game just because it's on Switch. It was important to me. It's the same price it's been everywhere else. Like that's right. right. That's the, that's that's the price of the game. And you know um i mean for that being across the board i've always been really firm on that price i chose that price because it's my fu price anyone tells me i don't <laughs> think the game's worth that i'm like i can confidently say fu you know, if i was right. charging 30 bucks for it i'd be like oh you maybe maybe not for you maybe for the right person 15 bucks i'm like fu right. no it, it the game's worth it yeah. Yeah. always <laughs> um but uh but because the game is so cool on switch and because i myself Have rebought a lot of games on Switch. You know, we thought we would put it on sale to celebrate it. And we've gotten a lot of feedback from players who are like, yeah, I'll buy it again on Switch, uh, which is awesome. And I would love them to because it's it is the best version yet. Right. That's great. Um, but no, these days, um, yeah, uh I've got several projects underway because I like to be a busy person um you know we're going to keep a close eye on the switch launch you know we have to you know we're going to put in a our good you know 1 2 months of watching it carefully seeing like you know if we need to do some patches for it uh, i'm feeling pretty good knock on wood about it but you know something is bound to come up someone's bound to find that thing we didn't think of
0: like you said earlier people tell you what you're exactly yeah yeah. exactly
2: and, and even aside from bugs just functional like i said training modes in there right now i think it's really useful for a bunch of reasons someone's going to kind of be going like yeah but i can't actually it doesn't help me this way and i'll be like oh okay maybe we'll change it sure so yeah exactly exactly yeah people are going to tell us what it's all about um i've got a couple other projects that are myself i'm going to get underway this year i have another I have a a really small independent project I'm going to put out later this year, just, uh, myself and two collaborators. We're going to put out a small game later this year. Um, and going to start thinking about another project for household games to do. Uh, there's lots of different stuff I have in mind that I kind of want to do. There's lots of things to explore. Uh, and yeah, and I've been spending my days uh, working with the fine folks at finish line games um, who are another cool Toronto indie studio. A couple of years ago, they released a game called maze. uh, oh, yeah. 80, uh yeah. Which is the, an adventure game about talking sentient corn.
0: I think uh Kevin, who because Jason and I have like some sort of pre existing relationship with you at the time Pacifist came out, we decided it'd be best to have somebody else review the mm-hmm. game. And Kevin, who reviewed it, also reviewed Maze. And he liked that
1: too. Like he liked it. Too, right? Awesome.
2: Uh, I'm I'm glad. Yeah. yeah, it's really great. Um it, it was a fun, you know, it was it was an adventure game. It was walk around, grab items, use items. And yeah, they have a new ambitious project that uh I'm very proud to be part of. Unfortunately, don't have any news on it because it's not announced yet. Um, Hopefully like late this year, but uh, no, they're a good team and it's really cool. And it's, it's awesome for me because it's way different from 2d pixel art stuff too. So uh, I'm getting my hands elbow deep in some awesome new skill sets, which is cool,
0: but yeah. So, like, what, what, speci- like, I don't know how much you could talk about, but like, what specifically are you working on? Like, what kind of job function are you performing? Oh, I,
2: I'm working them? as a game designer and lead level designer. Nice. That's uh, awesome. Which, which is awesome. Uh, yeah. So, like, yeah, that's something to be coming out later this year. But over the next six months or so, uh, I'm going to have two or three things I'm going to be talking about and announcing and small projects, much bigger projects. And yeah, I'm really, uh, really excited. Just lots of little things going on.
0: That's excellent, man. That's really good to hear.
2: Hey, we're gonna wrap up, but where um, where can people find you online? Uh, you can follow me at uh, Jason Canham, uh on Twitter, and follow Household Games at HH Games Inc. Inc. on Twitter. Twitter Twitter is the main form of communication. I kind of go with everybody online these days. Um, any news about me? Uh, all the different games I have my hands in will be through my personal Twitter and any announcements with way, the pacifist and new stuff in the coming months will be at household games. We'll, we'll make all of our announcements there.
1: It's excellent. Jason, I just wanted to say, I've, I've told you this personally, but I want to make sure it's on the record for the public to know that I've always appreciated our relationship because in 2016, when, this website didn't when handsome fandom didn't exist and it was just me and Brandon recording in my spare bedroom you really were awesome to us and and treated us like we were any like you know it, it didn't matter if it was us or IGN you know we were just as valid and so I I always appreciated that from you and so I uh yeah I thought that was really cool and so yeah, I don't know. I just want that to be out there that you're a good I, dude. <laughs> uh, I, I appreciate
2: that a ton, man, and that goes both ways. That's right back to you guys, um, right from the first time you guys, you know, you guys, you guys, you guys took the time to make an appointment and stop by the booth the first time we were showing off a brand new game that was barely beyond prototype phase, and I super appreciated that. And what you guys had to say was valuable. You guys kept coming back, um, and everything you guys uh, have had to say has been super valuable to us and helped us. And just also, it's been really good to catch up whenever we can. Like, It's been super fun chatting about games yeah. in general, um, aside from just uh, just my games, but all the stuff we've had to. So, it, no, it's been awesome. And um, the same goes to you guys for the time you've taken out because you guys have done an excellent job covering things the last couple of years. Um, longer than that, but, I mean, the last couple of years especially, like I said, I've been going to you guys for everything from the latest packs. And, like I said, the fact that you guys took the time to – play the game once again and want to talk about it again is, is super awesome from my standpoint uh always love catching up with you guys and just th- was great yeah. talking tonight
1: we're we're happy happy to talk about it again and if anyone hasn't seen it or read it already we do have a review um from when it first came out then what was the actual i can't remember was it i want to yeah. say it was a nine it was a nine mm-hmm, yeah. right so like Pretty, pretty dang it's good. It's funny. Score. Like
0: I, I disclosed this in the editor's notes in the uh, review. Kevin actually wanted to give it a nine point five, and I would have let him, except we were uh, fine tuning our review scale. So I had to pump it down to a nine based on the review scale. But that's how excellent he excellently he thought of it. So that's
2: and that's awesome. yeah, that was super awesome. And and, and not only because too often, I think people boil um, reviews down to scores. The content yeah, of the review yeah. is really excellent as well, which is always, and that's the thing. Especially, developers developers care a ton about that. Is not only the scores but the contents of them. Because I know developers, e- even some scores for the game. Like we got some low scoring reviews that I read, and I was like, okay, that was well done. We got some low scoring reviews that I'm not going to name that were off base and had incorrect information and were not right. cool. That those were upsetting, but. And same thing. There were yeah. some high, other high-scoring ones that I was like, "Okay, I'm glad you gave us a nine, but you didn't make a good case. Actually, you just kind of, you kind <laughs> right. of just listed the synopsis of the game and then gave it a nine. How is that useful to anybody? Like, yeah. whatever. Um, yeah. But we live in a Metacritic world, so it does well. Yeah. The scores. right. That's why we have scores. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. We we uh, started that just a little insight. We started out um, about two years ago with the site. And doing reviews and said okay we're not going to do any review scores and like six months later we were like i think we <sighs> have to do review scores for anybody that give a crap about anything we have to and say <laughs> so let's develop a scale and do
2: it that's the nature of it but like i said uh yeah. you guys' content uh is is super awesome and i've been using it to catch up and like i said i really appreciate the time you guys took out for us from the very beginning so because yeah we were getting like i founded the company in 2016 so it was when yeah. i was coming up too yeah. so like that's always been a ton guys
0: awesome well thanks jason uh we'll uh, i gonna go ahead and wrap up we really appreciate it everybody go check out way to pass the fist on switch if you don't have a switch you can get it on other platforms as well and uh it's well worth your 15 dollars or less i guarantee it